Hey guys, it's Noah. Before we get into our next episode, I just want to encourage you to check out the description of this episode. While you're there, you'll see the references to all of our social media accounts. Please pause the podcast and take a minute to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok. Also, while you're there, you'll see a link to check out our blogs. I highly encourage you to go to couchfanaticsports.com to read our daily content. Lastly, you can find our YouTube channel in the description of this episode. Take a minute to subscribe to the Couch Fanatic Sports YouTube channel for weekly content and interviews. Now, I just want to thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Couch Fanatic Sports Podcast. Please feel free to download, rate, and subscribe to our pod. Now, let's get into the latest episode. What's up? Welcome back to the Couch Fanatic Sports Podcast, episode 27. I'm your host, Noah Domang, and yeah, 27 of these things already. Man, it's been it's been a wild ride to get to this point. And to this point that I referred to is to probably one of the biggest gets uh, so far. I told you guys I've been kind of hyping it up last week. Last week's episode, you can go check that out. Um, but saying like, hey, we got a big guest coming on, big name. We got an awesome dude coming on. Like, get excited. Like, it's coming. And here we are. Pretty excited. Um, I'm actually going to be at the beach leaving on, you know, Monday. This comes out on Thursday, but I'm recording this now Sunday night, uh, May 30th. We're not going to talk about any of the basketball stuff. Next episode is probably going to be a lot more uh, NBA playoffs focused because I didn't really get a chance to talk about it this week. But I don't see a very logical reason to discuss what's going on in the basketball world five days before the podcast comes out. It just kind of seems a little redundant. And by then, the only thing that can come out of it is me look like a total buffoon for saying stuff that doesn't end up happening. So we're going to avoid that altogether. But anyways, uh, I'm sure you see it if you're listening to this. Name's in the title. Got Tim Dillard on. Uh, Great interview coming up later in the show. Uh, He was an awesome dude. He gave me way too much of his time. Like, honestly, Uh, we talked probably a good five minutes or so before the interview, had the pretty lengthy interview, and then we stayed on and talked for, you know, chopped it up for another 40 minutes or so after that. Dude was awesome. He was a great guest to have. He was a great get. Tons and tons of stories. He's an awesome dude. And honestly, you're going to have to just stick around and check that out. But this is pretty much going to be all baseball-centric. We're going to be talking uh, some pitcher uses of substances. We're going to be talking some hobby bias, crazy plays, kind of looking – through what's going on in some of the division races right now throughout baseball. And honestly, let's just jump right in. All right, kind of transitioning, uh, you know, some baseball talk. Uh, There's a decent bit to talk about going into the pitchers using substances stuff. Uh, We'll get to that. But first, I want to talk about this play by Javier Baez. This may have been like the absolute like biggest brain fart I have ever seen and like the most chaotic chain of events that I've ever seen take place not only on a baseball field, but in sports, like in general, I have never seen something like this before. Like this is up there with like the bands on the field. And like the reason why that's crazy is because like the band was on the foot, the field, you, you know, during like a last second, you know, Hail Mary type touchdown, not an actual Hail Mary, but like you get what I mean, like a, some, a crazy play to where they were kind of like the difference maker there to guarantee a touchdown to win the game. Well, this was crazy because it was just like a wild play. So if you didn't see it, uh, it was the Pirates versus the Cubs. Runner on second, two outs. Javier Baez hits a ground ball to third base. The third baseman throws it to first. Pulls first baseman off the back, like uh, down the line, you know, towards home plate. So in doing so, the first baseman was going to, you know, touch Javi, get him out the third out of the inning, and, you know, 
go hit. Well, Javier Baez was like, no. So he just started like walking backwards. So like the first baseman started to chase him and Javier Baez just kept running backwards back to the plate. But neither of them really had any sense of urgency. And like, mind you, there's two outs. Well, the runner on second just keeps on running around the home. So the runner is running home. And then the first baseman at the last second is like, oh my gosh, like he has to flip it to the plate. Dude's safe at the plate. And then you add in the fact of Javier Baez goes safe and like throws his arms to the side, making the safe signal at the plate. And then he's like, oh, wait, I got to run to first because if you know the rules of baseball, it's still a force out. He didn't touch the base yet. So if they just touch the base, the run doesn't score. Like the run doesn't count. So Javier Baez takes off running down the line. Nobody's covering first base. Everybody's just like caught up watching the like craziness that's going on. So then the second baseman and a pitcher both sprint over, over to first. The catcher throws the ball like in the general direction. Nobody was really on the bag yet. The pitcher, I mean, the pitcher's not used to running to base and catching the ball and touching base at the same time. Ball wasn't really close to really being caught anyways. It was a poor throw. Javier Baez slides headfirst into first base. The ball gets past them. And then he decides, okay, cool. And then he runs to second and gets and he's safe at second. So this is a play that went from like a like a literal routine, you know, ground ball, you know, out of the inning to a poor throw, took him down the line, tried to chase down the runner. Like, literally, instead of chasing him, the first baseman could have just said, okay, and then just, like, went and touched first base, and, like, the inning would have been over, and the run wouldn't have scored. Or they could have just, you know, touched Baez before the run scored instead of just, like, you know, dilly-dallying around. Like, he's just, like, chilling, like, really not doing anything. He's not really going to touch him or anything. And then you add in the fact, okay, well, even after the run scored, they could have thrown the ball to first base and like been fine. Like he didn't even, the catcher could have thrown the ball, just like literally just throw it straight to wherever the second baseman is. The second baseman catches it and just goes touch the base. Like he didn't have to wait for him to get on the base. He could have hit him in stride. He could have done like anything like that, but no, they choose the worst option and they choose to kind of play into this weird circus act charade thing, whatever the heck that was. Like, I don't know what that was. That was nuts, but I've seen people arguing. A lot of people were like, yeah, well, you know, it was uh, it was like, I don't understand why Javier Baez is getting any credit here. You know, he didn't really even do the right thing. Like, if they were competent, he's out still. And, you know, I definitely understand that. And I do understand it's the Pirates. But at the end of the day, Javier Baez always seems to be mixed up in stuff like this. In fact, since I think it was 2016, I saw this stat, he has uh, reached – there's the fifth most in MLB since 2016. Uh, he's been reaching on errors. So that means, you know, they people like whenever he hits the ball, like crazy stuff happens. Like people start to, they tend to panic. They tend to, you know, cause errors whenever it's him. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's because, you know, you have number one, he's a very aggressive base runner. He's a very good base runner. I obviously there are, arguments about that but he's very good at he's very good slider he's fast he is aggressive so some people like to dock him for that but i like it like i like aggressive base running in certain situations and just like in the pure sense of like if you need someone to go get a base an extra base here on like a base hit like trying to take second like he's the type of dude that can really do that so going off of that it makes sense. He's fast. He's very aggressive on the basis. So people tend to rush. People tend to like think they don't have much time. So then they panic. Or like this type of play, like the first baseman, like literally it was just like, it never occurred to him. Like I can just go touch the base and the guy's not going to score because like he was panicking because it's, oh, it's Javier Baez. Because I like, I really do believe that it's being him. 
I think if Anthony Rizzo hits that ball and the same play happens, I don't think that happens. Even if Anthony Rizzo does exactly what Javier Baez does, which again, Javier Anthony Rizzo wouldn't have done what Javier Baez did. But again, like even if he did, I don't think they panic like that. I think it was because of it being Javi Baez and the type of player that he is, the type of, you know, kind of circus crazy act stuff that kind of happens whenever, you know, he's involved in a play. Looking at uh, something that he really popularized, it's been in baseball for, you know, longer than this, but he he kind of brought it to the forefront of people like whenever social media started to really get big, uh, like the Twitter universe, and he was doing, you know, 2017, 2018, he was doing the little swim moves, like sliding in a second, like, oh, he's about to be out. Oh, psych, he picked up his arm and, like, literally did a swim move and, like, got around the tag and was safe. Like, stuff like that matters. Like, I get it. We like to think of sports. It's analytical. It's not humans, but at the end of the day, like, it is humans. And, like, the number and the name on the back of his jersey does matter. It does play a difference and play a huge factor into that play. And I I guess there's really no way to prove it unless we, you know, have a time machine and make that same exact play happen with Anthony Rizzo or make that same exact play happen with Chris Bryant. Because if that happens, I don't think that's the same result. I don't think the Pirates have this kind of huge brain fart. Um, but – a lot of people took it as a chance to kind of poop down the Pirates' throats like they are just they're just not a good baseball team. Uh, kind of going through while we're kind of talking about this now, we can kind of do a little brief season update. We're about you know two months into the season now. So this is about, you know, everybody got about 50, 60 games under their belt. This is whenever you can really start to see, you know, who's doing what and who's, you know, some of the biggest surprises. One of the biggest surprises for me, the New York Yankees only have a plus 19 run differential this year. That's not good. In case you're wondering, they have the fourth best run differential in their own division. The Red Sox have plus 52. Tampa Bay has plus 55. Toronto has plus 40. Then you also have the Houston at plus 48. And the White Sox at plus 73 over them. They have the sixth, sorry, seventh best run differential in baseball right now. Not good. Like, not good at all. Kind of looking in the uh, Central, it's kind of what we expected. Uh, besides Minnesota, Minnesota for some reason is garbage. They're nine and a half games out of first place. They're 20, uh, they're minus 20 run differential. And I actually picked them to win the division. <laughs> I did. I, I, I actually picked them to win the division. I thought it was going to be a close race with Eloy being out and then with, uh, you know, Luis Robert going out so early. I thought that would be able to, you know, push them over the edge. But, Looks like the White Sox are going to be able to run away with this in this very, very, very weak AL Central. If you look at it, the White Sox are nine games above 500, and they have a plus 73. They have the best run differential in the American League, the third best in baseball, and that's with a nine games over 500 right now to this point. So also if you kind of like look at the their trends and stuff like that, like they kind of just beat up on the American League Central – and then, like when they play other teams, it it's yeah, it's it's not great. It's not the same type of dominance that we see whenever they're playing. You know, their center whenever they're playing the Indians, whenever they're playing the Royals, when they're playing the Twins, when they're playing the Tigers. Like it's not the same type of dominance. The AL East, you have the defending American League champions in first place by a half game. Red Sox are in second, but you know, half game back. Yankees are two and a half out. Toronto's five games out. Baltimore, obviously, is 14 games out, bottom of the basement. 
And American League East, I actually had it Yankees, Blue Jays, Red Sox, Rays. That was my prediction. Uh, But I also said that I could see literally any of them winning. I thought they would all be within about three to four games of each other. I actually had, when I had Max Greenfield on, we were talking about that, that there's really not much of a difference or a big separator between the Red Sox, Blue Jays, or the Rays. Now, the Rays did get a lot of disrespect this offseason, but they're kind of just rolling. Like, they really are. Like, they have won, they went on a, what, 11, 12-game win streak? Like, they went out there, and they've just been playing ball. Started off a little slow, but, you know, Brandon Lau started to heat back up. Randy Rosarena Randy starting to play like he should actually be playing again, and they're just, you know, they're just rolling right now. There's really no other way to really describe it. So, kind of keep it rolling here. Uh, in the AL West, you have the Oakland A's in first place. I did not think they would be in first place. To be honest, I thought Houston would be fine. Houston, I will say, has been screwed over a lot this year with injuries, with COVID stuff. So that's it's a little tough to say that. Um, they had a tough loss last night against the Padres. I'm actually recording this part on uh, Saturday. So, yeah, so like if you go look at the division rankings, you know, on Thursday or whenever this comes out, it's going to be a little different. But, yeah, I have to record early this week, so bear with me. But I honestly, I think Houston's going to be fine. I still think they're going to win the division. I think Oakland's pitching has been a lot better than I thought it would be. Uh, Chris Bassett has been amazing. He has been really, really, really good. And I don't think anyone expected Chris Bassett to have a, you know, three point, you know, two ERA or whatever it is. Like, I don't think anybody, no matter what they say, expected Chris Bassett to be this. Now, moving along here, uh, we, we can just kind of, Briefly talk about the Angels. Man, isn't it crazy to say that they have the GOAT, like the greatest player to ever play this game, Mike Trout, and then they also have probably the most talented player to ever play this game in Shohei Otani, and they are five games under 500. Seven games, I'm sorry, seven games under 500. Like, that is tough. Oh, yeah, and they also have Anthony Rendon. That's, it's it's tough. Um apparently then you have all the Mickey Calloway situation. We don't really need to discuss that. That's some awful stuff. Uh, there's plenty of articles you can go read if you haven't heard about that yet, but Mickey's a big uh, POS, uh, but kind of, kind of going through t- like looking back into the last off season, they were actually, you know, like the head of the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes, but Bauer didn't come because of Mickey Calloway who, you know, if you're picking between Mickey Calloway and Trevor Bauer, you should pick Trevor Bauer hundred times out of a hundred, especially in the situation that Mickey was in. It's a lot easier to replace a mediocre pitching coach than it is to get a Cy Young Award winner there. And this team is, probably needs more than just Trevor Bauer on the pitching end. But, man, could they have used, you know, a frontline starter this season. Uh, obviously, Mike Child's out for, you know, two months, you know, six to eight weeks. So this is going to be a tough stretch for the Angels. Shohei Otani is doing literally everything in his power, and it's just still not enough. Like going on to uh, looking at Friday night, Otani went six innings, gave up three runs, and they lost three to one. Like they're just, he's like, they're just like wasting. Like that's like the only thing that I can like think of. Like the only words that I can use to describe like the Angels and how much talent they usually have and how much they wasted. Like they even have Jared Walsh just having a great season. Justin Upton like seems like he's like driving the baseball again. 
Like I feel like he's been hitting a lot of home runs lately. Like he's his he's OPSing at seven eleven, but he's been hot as of late. So I mean, I don't think anybody expected someone like Justin Upton to be doing anything this season, especially not you know given the circumstances. You shouldn't even have to rely on him. But I mean, if Justin Upton's gonna heat up in a certain stretch and just start mashing homers, then like yeah, you should be able to take advantage of that. Texas terrible, kind of what we expected. Seattle's young. They're going to be extremely good one day. It's not going to be this year, but, man, do they have some talent. They have a lot of young guys coming up. Uh, Mitch Hanniger's had a good year. Um, Kyle Seeger still just doing Kyle Seeger stuff, really. Uh, Kyle Lewis is starting to heat up now, coming back from injury. And I think the Mariners are going to be a very good team in the American League in you know, a couple of years, and I think they're going to need to maybe run the American League West for a while. Kind of keep it rolling now. Uh, going over to the National League, uh, you have National League East, the Mets. Gosh, the National League East went from, I guess it still is the most competitive division in baseball. You know, the last place is only four games out, but the Mets are four games over 500 and they lead the National League East. And the Mets have had like a AAA roster so far this year. Lindors is also just awful. He's pretty much the only major league starter right now that's playing and he has had a absolutely horrendous season. You also look at the Phillies. Phillies are one game under 500. The Braves have just like kind of stayed afloat one game under 500 this whole time. But bro, like I don't like understand what's going on here. Like I really thought going into the season on paper, this should have been the most talented division, most competitive division. The Braves actually picked to win the world series coming into this year because I wanted to be different. I didn't want to pick the Dodgers or the Padres. So I also picked the Mets to, you know, make a wild card, you know, actually go beat the Padres in a wild card game. You know, have Jacob DeGrom go out there, spend a gym, you know, make a little bit of a run in postseason with Marcus Stroman, with, you know, uh, Jacob DeGrom, with Noah Syndergaard, look, with Carlos Carrasco. And, yeah, none of that has happened. But looking at the Mets, somebody like Marcus Stroman has had a great season this year. He's now like a 2-5 ERA. Jacob DeGrom obviously is Jacob DeGrom. He's coming back from injury and stuff. Uh, you can actually go check out the YouTube channel, I did a lazy couch thought on his rehab start. I thought that was an absolutely hilarious just situation going on there and uh, with the Port uh, St. Lucie Mets. So you can go check that out at Couch Fanatics Sports YouTube. Go subscribe while you're over there. But yeah, man, this this division has just been not competitive. Like, I mean, I guess it's been competitive in the sense of like they all are just losing. So like none of them can gain ground on each other. But like nobody's like going out there and like really establishing themselves as like a winning ball club. Um, the Marlins have stayed afloat at three games under 500 just because of, they have great pitching. Uh, Rojas has had a good season. Aguilar has had a you know resurgence. But I feel like every starter on the Marlins has just been like nasty. Um, let's see. I don't even know how to pronounce this. Poteet has a 2.95 ERA this year. Trevor Rogers has been incredible, has a 1.75. Uh, Sandy Alcantara has a 3.46 ERA. Um, I know my guy Pablo Lopez has been disgusting this year. That's uh, I actually picked him up in fantasy early in the season. Big believer in him. But yeah, like the Marlins overall, like they've had tremendous pitching this year, but they have really struggled, I guess, on the offense side of the ball. Um, because the way that their starters have thrown this year, I don't know how their bullpen is, but the way that their starters has pitched, there's no excuse for them to be under 500. Moving along now to the Central. Obviously, uh, Washington, they're in the bottom. They were without Juan Soto for a decent chunk of the season, too, so they get a little bit of a pass. 
Uh, Max Scherzer looks to be Max Scherzer again, so that's good. But going to the Central now, Cardinals lead uh, half game over the Cubs. Uh, Milwaukee's three and a half games back, Cincinnati six games back, and the Pirates are garbage. Yes, the Pirates are garbage. Uh, pretty much what we kind of expected. I had Cardinals winning it, the Brewers in second, and the Cubs in third. Cubs are right now in second, Brewers in third. Brewers had a long stretch without Christian Yelich. Their lineup, man, especially without Christian Yelich in it, is pretty soft. They definitely need to make some moves for some bats. And really, what's new with the Brewers? I mean, Corbin Burns has been disgusting. He looks like the NL Cy Young favorite right now. Brandon Woodruff has been almost as good. Like, Brandon Woodruff has also been like, you know, if the season, if I told you going to the season, their stat line, you'd be like, okay, they're, they're going to win the Cy Young. Or like, okay, like they're going to start the All-Star game. Like, they've both been absolutely remarkable this season. You also add in Freddie Peralta. Freddie Peralta has been nasty this year. And again, but with the Brewers, it's about the bats. And that's what it's going to be about. We knew that coming into the season. We knew it was going to be, be about how the bats perform outside of Yelich. We all knew probably Yelich was most likely going to bounce back this season. I think that's what most of us really assumed was going to happen. I say that as he has actually hit a home run uh, this current game on his doubleheader on Saturday. And like, that's really all they need. If they can scrape across, you know, four and four and a half, you know, five runs, four to five runs a game, like they're going to win a lot more than what they would lose because their pitching staff is disgusting. Cincinnati, they're like really struggling this year, even though they have a really good lineup. Uh, Luis Castillo has just not been it. And it's, I guess it's pitching for them. It's kind of the opposite. Like uh, Jesse Winker looks like an absolute man amongst boys with the bat. Uh, Nicholas Castellanos has been hot. You know, like they've had the production in the outfield. Uh, somebody actually put together the outfielder stats throughout the first, I think it was the first 45, 50 games or whatever. And if you combine them all, it was like an MVP like type season so far to this date. So Jesse Winker has been awesome. Nicholas Castellanos has been awesome. But man, they're pitching and it starts with Luis Castillo really, really needs to pick it up. Traveling out west now, uh, the Padres are in first, the Dodgers game and half back. But the surprise in that division, I mean, we expected the Padres and the Dodgers to kind of go back and forth all year, but the surprise in that division is definitely the San Francisco Giants. Game and half back of first place, you know, tired with the Dodgers, and they have just been, like, doing the damn thing. Buster Posey, it looks like Buster Posey again. Like, going look through uh, kind of Buster Posey stats right now, let me go. Let me go pull these things up real quick. Um, let's see. Buster Posey is batting 333 in the season with a 1200 OPS. I'm sorry, with a 10, 1028 OPS this season. He has been nasty. 10 home runs and 120 plate appearances, 21 RBI. Buster Posey looks like Buster Posey again. Mike Stremski, uh, he has not been the same Mike Stremski as you saw last year, but you know, he says an OPS at almost 800. That's Tyler Wade has been good. Uh, kind of just going through, Brandon Crawford has an 852 OPS. I feel like nobody in the world would have ever guessed that. Like, if I looked at you and was like, hey, what's Brandon Crawford's OPS? You'd be like, uh, he plays baseball? I didn't know that. <laughs> but, like, the Giants have been good. They've been extremely, extremely solid. Now, is it sustainable? Are they going to be competing for the division? No, but I think they could push for potential wild card spot, especially what's going on right now in the National League East. I could see them, you know, going grab the second wild card spot in the National League uh, with whoever doesn't win, either the Dodgers or the Padres. But I think one of the biggest stories in the National League right now, not just the National League, West National League, what's going on with Mookie Betts? 
like, seriously, what is going on with Mookie Betts? Looking at his stuff right now, he's batting 240 with a 778 OPS. This is a guy who's supposed to be one of the best players in baseball, who is one of the best players in baseball. But like looking at his trends over the last four years, his barrel percentage has gone down every year. His exit velo has gone down every year. His expected batting average has gone down every year. His expecting slugging, his expected weighted on base average, his hard hit percentage, all of that has gone down every single year. Like, not joking. Like he is, it's gone down every single year. So what's going on with Mookie Betts? Well, I don't want to say this is the downfall in Mookie Betts. Obviously, I, he finished top three or whatever for the MVP last year. Like, he had a very good season. But what's going on? Like, that type of stuff is scary. Now, breaking it down from a logical standpoint, he is a smaller guy. He creates power, uh, not with muscles, but with just pure bat speed. As you get older, your bat speed will decrease. So whenever you already don't have much kind of going on for you, whenever you lose more, it's that's what's going to happen. Um, obviously I think he's going to be fine. I think this, I think, I think he's gonna be fine. I think Mookie Betts is going to be fine. He's going to finish the year with like a 900 OPS, give you, you know, best defensive outfielder in the national league and, you know, the best defensive right fielder in baseball and be perfectly fine. You'd be like, Oh yeah, we were worried about Mookie, but I will say that the four year average with everything declining every single season, that's terrifying. Like as a Dodgers fan, I would be worried now on one hand, you did just win a World Series, so whatever comes next, it was worth it. But on the other hand, it's not really the same because of the type of World Series that was won, and also it was before the extension started. So you still have nine more seasons after this season. So if this is the downfall of Mookie Betts, this is going to be tough, especially whenever you add in the fact that Alex Verdugo looks like a stud, and then you still gave away Jeter Downs, who's going to be a stud, and Connor Wong. Oh, and Dustin Mays on the I.L. for the season with Tommy John. Bruce Dark Gratterall been banged up this year, and it's kind of looking like a bad recipe. Now, if I wasn't a Red Sox fan, I wouldn't be saying these things, obviously. But, man, if Mookie Betts doesn't really pull it together, if this is somehow – I don't believe this at all. Like, Trust me, like I'm the biggest Mookie believer in the world. I love Mookie Betts to probably to a fault. But if this ends up being like the downfall of Mookie Betts, if this really is it for him and like we don't see like peak Mookie anymore, then man, what a great trade it was for the Boston Red Sox. Now to the part we have all been waiting on, uh, the pitcher uses of substances. Coming into the season, I feel like you can't tell the story of what happened with Gio and the Cardinals uh, unless you, you kind of lay it out like this first. So we're going to go that route. Pretty much because it's my show, and that's kind of what I want to do. So, you know, stick, hang with me. Bear with me if you already know this. So if you don't know this, uh, in the offseason, MLB came out and said, look, we're going to crack down on pitchers using uh, different you know, concoct- concoctions and different substances and different things that they kind of create themselves and say, hey, like this right here uh, that makes homeboys fastball spin rate go up 400 RPM. Like, yeah, we got to, we got to crack down stuff like that. We have to figure out who's using how to get rid of it because boy, oh boy, this is not good. So what a lot of people don't understand is things that aren't a part of that rosin sunscreen, bullfrog, pine tar. These things aren't bad for baseball. These things are good things. These aren't the things that they were actually worried about. It's actually baseball's dirty little secret that all of the pitchers use stuff that's quote-unquote illegal, and no one has a problem with it because the hitters want them to use it. It doesn't help them increase their RPMs. It doesn't help them uh, you know, get more movement, more break on the ball. 
all it does is give them more control. And guess what? If you're throwing something 100 miles an hour, I would like, and like if I'm standing in the box and you're throwing in my direction, I would prefer you know where that ball's going. You know what I mean? I would prefer you know and understand like, hey, this ball's going to go right here and not, hey, that ball's going to hit me in the temple and then I can't play baseball anymore for the rest of my career and I can't provide for my family. So it's always been kind of baseball's dirty little secret. Um, so if you kind of miss the situation, the St. Louis Cardinals were playing and uh, their closer, Gio, was out there on the mound. And before the inning ever starts, the uh, home plate umpire, wasn't a crew chief, uh, pointed out like, hey, he has some stuff on his hat. So Joe West went up to him and was like, hey, like just go change hats, whatever. Like it's not a big deal, but like we don't want we don't want this to become a thing whenever, you know, we're in the middle of an inning and then they complain and then something has to be done about it and the game ground to protest, just go change hats, whatever, whatever. So the dude, Gio was like, why? Like, I mean, it's like, it, it was just like rosin, like on his, on the bill of his hat. And they're like, look, just like go do it. So then, uh, you know, Mike Schmel, I'm sorry. The Cardinals manager went out there and was like, um, like, Hey, like what's going on? Like, uh, Schmidt, he was like, Hey, like what's going on? And Joe West was like, uh, like he didn't change his hat or whatever. And the Cardinals manager was like, why? Mike's like, what are we doing here, bro? Like, why does he need to do that? Like, is this really the time and place that you want to pick this out? Run what a safe situation, a one-run game in the ninth inning. This is whenever you want to choose to enforce this rule about rosin. Really, bro? So then Mike got tossed, obviously. Um, and then Gio ended up having to change his hat. And then Gio still shoved. And his RPMs were the exact same. And all of his stuff was the exact same because he was using rosin which is perfectly legal. Like, it's stupid. And if you look at almost every single pitcher in baseball, they have something, uh, you, you know, they usually have pine tar somewhere or they'll have their catchers put pine tar on them, rub their hand with pine tar, put it on the ball, and then throw it back, and then that's how they get pine tar on the ball to where they can control it. That's another dirty little secret. Or they'll create things like bullfrog, or they'll create, they'll use sunscreen, or anything that they could possibly use to get more grip on the ball to where they can control it better, to where they can put the ball where they want to. Now, don't have time to really talk about every single second of the 10-minute uh, you know, press conference that the Cardinals had. If you want to go check that out, you could you know, find it pretty much ever, all over the internet. It was an awesome thing, though. But what just happened was, it's this has been baseball's dirty little secret, as I said. The umpires basically, Joe West basically said, you know what, if nobody else is going to do anything about this, if nobody else is going to force this, then I'm going to either make you enforce this rule, I'm going to make everyone start to enforce this rule, or it's going to be, hey, we're going to just get rid of the rule completely. But something's going to happen here. And this is a this was the day after Joe West had, he broke the record for the most uh, games umpired in MLB career, an MLB umpire career. The day after this happens, like so he's been around the block. He, I guarantee you, he knows that pitchers use stuff. I don't think he actually cares about this stuff, but his crewmate pointed it out. So he had to take care of it. And now because of this, we could be looking back on this day as a like monumentous day in the history of baseball. Like this can be a huge deal that we never forget. Like this can like this I, I obviously because of the Astro scandal that's up there too. But if the Astro scandal didn't happen, like this would be the biggest thing. This has to be the biggest things in steroids in baseball. Because if they do crack down on this and they either a get rid of every single thing like that and they clear that out of the game, 
or B, if they just start to allow it, it's going to be a big deal. And all the people who don't really know baseball talking about it, you know, random people on ESPN, uh, just dummies who aren't actual baseball people. They're just paid to talk about sports. And then it's like, hey, we got to talk about baseball for at least two minutes out of the hour. Like, just throw this in there. They don't really know what they're doing. But, like, if you remember a few years ago, John Farrell was still the manager of the Red Sox. They're playing the Yankees in Fenway Park. And Michael Pineda was on the mound. He had a just glob of pine tar on his neck. And he, like, John Farrell didn't even want to go out there. He's like, God, like, come on, guys. Like, just look at him. So after, like, two or three innings, he went out there. And he told the umpires, like, dude, like, he has pine, a huge thing of pine tar on his neck. Like, come on, man. So the umpires went up and, like, rubbed his neck and looked at him. He was like, oh, yep, you're gone. And then everybody's like, wait. And then John was like, I didn't even want to do that, honestly. Like, like I, it was just too obvious. And it's something because they know everyone does it. And Mike even pointed out in his inter- interview saying, like, hey, like, I think we're all clean. I think oh, we all do everything the right way. I don't think anyone here is using these little uh, things such as like uh, like Trevor Bauer pointed out saying that the Astros were using – this was like during the same time as their cheating scandal, uh, which, again, if you follow me here, you you know I'm not really I, – I don't really care as much as others about the cheating scandal, just kind of trying to move on. But saying like they are inventing stuff, and he explained the exact process of how to do it. It involves like – coke cans and uh you know just like just coke and not cocaine obviously by coca-cola and things like that and they melt it down and they do all these other stuff like all these crazy stuff and if you want to look it up it's on youtube you can like he describes the entire process um but you do all this and then like you use it and it increases your spin rate like crazy and he pointed to garrett cole it was like, yeah, Garrett Cole was a fine pitcher. You know, he was kind of like, eh, you know, he, he was good. Then he went to the Astros and became one of the best pitchers in baseball since he, since 2017. How does that happen? I'm sorry, 2018. Like, how does that happen? So then you look at his RPMs. It's like, oh, well, it skyrocketed. And that was a common trend with the Astros. Look at what Justin Verlander, what happened to Justin Verlander whenever he went to the Astros. And I obviously, part of it is, hey, Justin Verlander was healthy for the first time in three years. So, yeah, he's one of the greatest uh, pitchers of his generation. He's going to bounce back when he's actually healthy. But just taking a look at that type of stuff, it was pretty jarring. So those are the type of things that the MLB is trying to crack down on, not this. This isn't serious. This isn't the thing that that people actually care about around the league. Every single person in the league understands that these things happen, and it's just like, hey, there's nobody to talk about it. Like This is like our, our little dirty little secret here. I'm cool. You're cool. I'm, you know, I'm cool. You're cool. We're fine. Nobody talk about it. Nobody mention it. Everybody just keep doing it. The hitters don't care because, hey, you're not getting any better. You just know where the ball is going to go. You know what? I'm okay with you having more control. If you're going to be throwing 102 miles an hour or, you know, 98 miles an hour like most bullpen people are throwing, I don't want you to hit me with that. Like, that's going to hurt. I might have to miss time. It might end my career. I don't want that. So, yes, I'm cool with you using Bullfrog. I'm cool with you using pine tar and knowing where the ball's going. Pine tar, bullfrog, sunscreen, rosin. It doesn't increase spin rate. It doesn't make the pitcher any better. It just gives them more control of the baseball. So I think this is going to be a very pivotal point in the history of the game. This is going to be a point where we may look back on in 20 years and be like, wow, like remember that day Joe West like called how Geo and it just like, Mike just like told everyone in the entire world about baseball's dirty little secret. So now Rob Manfred has a choice. He's either going to have to acknowledge it or just push it down and act like it never happened. And as we know, Rob Manfred's not the best with these type of calls. But anyways, guys, we're going to move on now. Uh, 
it's going to be enough of me talking. I'm about to uh, transition us over to the Tim Dillard interview. Not going to have anything on the backside of the interview this week, so kind of say my goodbyes here. Uh, before, before I depart from you, send you off to the interview. If you'd like to watch this interview, you can go to YouTube, uh, Couch Night Sports. You can go watch it there. If you you know go check it out there, leave a like and subscribe while you're there. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, literally any type of social media platform outside of like MySpace, uh, you know, we're, we're there. You can go follow us at Couch Fanatic Sports. Twitter is Couch Fanatic. And I will see you guys next week. Enjoy the interview. All right, I want to welcome on a very special guest. Um, this guy is an absolute baseball lifer, uh, somebody who played professional baseball for a very long time, uh, played for the Brewers, is now uh, into broadcasting pre and post game analyst, my good friend. Tim Dillard. Tim, how are we doing? Man, I'm doing great. I'm glad uh, I'm glad I got to be on here. I'm actually in the copy room of the press box at uh, American Family Field. And I just, for whatever reason, just saw this media guide from 2020, Texas Rangers. And I'm pretty sure this is the last media guide I was ever in. So forgive me for scrolling through here. <laughs> oh, did you get a, did you got a spring training invite that year? I did. I did. I, well, you make a media guide if you get, uh, I mean, even if you're in minor league camp, you still get you know, you're a, a, an honorable mention in the uh, big league media guide. All right. Well, uh, kind of jumping right in, um, can you uh, kind of give the listeners a little bit of background of your, you know, backstory? Obviously, you're drafted in uh, 2001 as a catcher and then, you know, eventually make it to the big leagues as a reliever. So kind of explain that journey and that process. Yeah. Uh, how much time you got? It's a long it's a long <laughs> story. <laughs> I'll give you the abridged version. Um yeah, I was a, I got drafted out of high school as a catcher in 2001 and I didn't sign. I actually had a left shoulder injury. Um, I used to swing really big, kind of like what Tatis is going through a little bit, but mine might've been worse because I had to eventually have to have surgery on it, but went to junior college, got drafted again as a catcher in 2002 and then um, played really well my second year of college after rehabbing and uh, the Brewers decided when they were going to sign me they would say okay we we like you as a pitcher rather than a catcher because I did do some pitching and uh they think they're like we think you'll have a longer career as a pitcher than a catcher and so, so you did have the anyway, background already you didn't just yeah, yeah throw I, pitched, in. I started my junior year of high school only because I, I caught everybody on the team and my coach was like you know hey you know how are we going to look this year and I was like you know I didn't <laughs> I was like I, I think I need to pitch he's like you're our catcher so we got some guy to, you know, learn how to catch. And yeah, I didn't really have any mechanics other than I wanted to be a right-handed Randy Johnson a little bit because I feel like that would be intimidating. And so, yeah, I hit a lot of people. Um, I hit, I, I, sometimes you got to hit some people, but I did that a lot pretty much my entire career. Um, but yeah, I spent 18 years in professional baseball. I spent 10 years straight with the Brewers and then they didn't sign me back. And then I went to Mexico and got fired. And then went to independent ball in Pennsylvania and then got picked up by the Brewers and put me in AAA. And so that kind of was the what happened for several years um, because they would let me go to free agency, which is a fancy word for unemployed. And then they would sign me back. So anyway, after my, uh, I guess last year, you know, the shortened season and minor league baseball being canceled completely, I ended up in Milwaukee with the Milwaukee Milkmen, an independent baseball team. I was there a month. We won a championship. And then um, I was actually going to go back this season to minor league camp with the Texas Rangers, 
but I got approached about broadcasting for the Milwaukee Brewers doing uh, pre and post game where I sit there with my hands like, like this. And I have a pen in my hand. I don't even know why I have a pen, but I saw other analyst people have a pen in their hand. So I just sit there like this and I'm like, that's right, Dario. You know, they turned this double play. It was a good double, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. anyway, that's, that's my journey. It's been, uh, I've had ties to the Brewers going back as 2000, you know, to 2001. So um, it's kind of a bit of a homecoming. Yeah. So like uh, whenever they asked you to make the switch over and were you kind of starting to figure it out where you're like, Hey, I'm pretty good at this. Or were you like, I don't know if I can do this. Pitching. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I was always a catcher. I wanted to be a catcher. Um, loved Carlton Fisk and Mike Piazza, uh, Pudge Rodriguez, like just watching these guys be complete players where they can block balls, throw people out and they can hit. Um, that's what I wanted to be. And my dad played in the big leagues uh, before I was born and he was a coach. He was a minor league coach. So I grew up in the clubhouse. And one of the first things he said to me when I was like five or six, I told him I want to be a catcher. He said, the fastest way to the big leagues is a switch hitting catcher. So that's why I want to be. I want to be a switch hitting catcher. Um, I never got past I didn't hit that well. I hit a little bit in high school left-handed, but I, I, I banged that when I got into college. But um, I don't know. I kind of started pitching out of necessity. So when they started saying, hey, we think you should be a pitcher rather than a catcher, there was a moment there where I was like, what have I been doing my entire life? You know, learning how to get the catching gear on really fast, learning how to block, how to call games behind the plate, throw people out, hold runners, you know, batting, got to give up batting. Like that was a, that was a tough thing. Uh, for a while but you know looking back I realized that was preparing me for the to be a pitcher because you have to learn how to field your position you got to learn how to pitch sequences and things like that and so I think my catching background actually helped with my pitching but um, I actually was like okay this could be a really good move and then I got to Arizona for extended spring training in early June I believe after I signed in 2003 and I see all these other pitchers and I'm like Maybe I'm not very good as a pitcher because these guys are really awesome. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's throwing so, like 98. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe not oh, as yeah. much back then, but not as much back then. I mean, I, there was guys coming in and the, the, you know, the high school gun and the college gun is juiced. So um, if there's a scout saying, Hey, I got this player um, that uh, he's out of college or high school. It's like, yeah, he throws 95. It's like, Oh, the potential's there. Chances are in about two weeks after he signs, he's going to show up to Arizona and he's going to throw about 92. Really? And that's just the way, that's just the way it is. Like I was throwing 96 or something in the, uh, in our junior college playoffs. We went to the junior college world series and I'm pumping like 96 and like six days later, I'm throwing a bullpen in Arizona. I'm throwing like 90 and it's wow. just like, yeah, I was like, they're like, you, it says you're supposed to throw 96. I'm like, I'm feeling good, man. I'm throwing. And, um, but it's just the gun, the guns are kind of juiced or whatever. Like they just, you know, everybody wants their guy signed. So they have their, you know, at least that's my theory, because everybody came in. One kid that came in from like uh, one of the Carolinas, he came in and he was like, yeah, I throw 97. We were like, dang, like at that time, 2003, you know, there's right. only a handful of people on the planet throwing 97. So we were like, wow, 97. And uh, his first bullpen, he's throwing like 93. It's like, OK, well, maybe you don't throw 97 right now, buddy. <laughs> that's a that's a but, huge difference. Like looking at it, like uh, Mark DeRosa talks about it all the time saying like, you know, like 92, you can usually see seams, 95, like 97. It's it's tough. And like 100, it's like you don't even see the ball. It's just a blur. Like the difference yeah. between that is crazy. Like I, was, I haven't played above high school. It's so like the highest I ever saw was like 85. And like that to me is like it's like blowing by me. So I couldn't imagine seeing something like that where you can't even see the ball, much less read the seams of the baseball. 
Well, I got a, I, I'm a career 182 hitter, I think, in the minor leagues. There you go. Uh, but I, but my first at bat in the big leagues in 2008, I only got two at bats. But my first at bat in the big leagues, um, this guy throws a pitch, and I was just like, I, sw- I mean, I was so late on it, and it was probably like letters high, and I was like, holy crap! I was like, I bet that was like 95. Mm-hmm. And I look back up at the, at the, uh, you know, they got everything plastered everywhere in the big league stadiums, and it was like 88. <laughs> that's awesome so sometimes you know sometimes it's not just um sometimes it is your surroundings like you know you guys throw harder when there's bigger crowds right the, you know crowd kind of pumps you up um and at the same time you're in the big leagues you think you could do anything it's like well i'm gonna swing harder so um your environment kind of matters a little bit how how bitches are perceived a little bit but yeah when you reach 100 um i hear guys talking about it it's like you just hope it's straight you know, if it has any movement whatsoever, you don't have a good shot. But if it's straight, you just kind of swing where you think it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, talking <laughs> like, just real quick. <laughs> yeah, but like, like thinking about somebody like your guy Corbin Burns out here throwing ninety-seven mile an hour sinkers and cutters. Like, where? How does that even happen? Like, my brain can't comprehend that. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. You know, watching him cut down his mechanics because back in the day, everybody pitchers they did the hands over the head and mm-hmm. you know a lot of motion and and they would throw, but. Um, honestly, that can make you throw a lot of balls. You know, you can, you can be all over the place. And so he cut down his mechanics to basically he's out of stretch every time. He almost does the exact same thing with guys on base or not to a fault sometimes because he, it's tough to, for him to hold runners. The other day against the Padres, they ran, they stole like six bags off of them just because, you know, but he strikes the world out. So he, he didn't care if you take second. It's like you're going to be stuck there because right. <laughs> I'm going to strike these, these next 10 people out. Um, but what he did is he developed a pitch. He'd already had a strong arm, but he just developed it and, and hammered it down to go one pitch where it's like, this is a 97 mile an hour cutter and, and I can trust it. And then I can make it move a little bit this way on the two seam. So he just pitches off of that plane. Um, and then, you know, the break and stuff kind of complements that, but it's almost, it, it shows you that if you, if you throw hard enough, you can have one pitch and get yeah. away with it. You know, We've like seen relievers. Yeah. Yeah. But for a starter to do that and to do it for six innings, seven innings, like that's, that's impressive. He does mix in a lot of other stuff, but um, you know, it's, it all starts with that, that cutter because righties don't want to hit off the end of the bat and break their hand and the lefties don't want to break their hand by swinging. So it's very, it's a very apprehensive pitch. Definitely. Uh, Definitely feels more on the defensive side of swings being a, I'm actually a Red Sox fan. So like, having like growing up watching Mariana pitch against us all those years, the amount of yeah. like bats, like it's weird. Cause he would, whenever he would be in the game, I was like, all right, I hope we have three righties up. And it's like the complete <laughs> opposite of what you ever like, see like David yeah, well, Ortiz would come a, up and I wouldn't like it. Yeah. Well, I talked to a buddy of mine that was like, okay, what makes Mariano Rivera so good? Like we know he's got this cutter, you know, and it's one of the best pitches in baseball and, and but he's not going to throw anything else. He's going to throw that. And I talked to a buddy of mine that faced him several times and he goes, you know, even if you're pitching, you're, you're playing against him in the same league, you're in the AL East, the chances of, you know, you play him 20 times, the chances of there being a save situation and the, the chances that he comes into a game and that your part of the order is up. He's like, we'll play him 20 times, maybe see him twice a year. So you see him one at bat in May, and then you see him one at bat in August. And you have three chances to hit the best cutter that's ever stepped on the field. You know, it's like, and, and cutters are strange because it looks, it looks like a four-seam fastball. Like that rotation, it looks to the naked eye. I've stood in on a couple of buddies of mine that were pitchers that threw good cutters. And I, I wanted to know, 
this was probably 2007. I was like, I got to know what this looks like because hit, he, these guys are carving hitters alive. And um, so I stood up there and it just looks like it's right down the middle of four seam. There's no awkward spin in any way. And then it just moves over a foot. And you're just like, how did like witchcraft, man, it's witchcraft. <laughs> it goes against everything we know about like, how a baseball is supposed to move. Yeah. But here's the thing. If Mario Rivera was a starter, you know, people got more bats against him. You know, they're going to have a better approach. But when you're – it's the same with Josh Hader. I mean, Josh Hader now has three pitches. But when you face these closers, you're only facing them very few times throughout a year. And you may only face them one time one year. And then next next season, you don't even face the guy. So it's it's just tough because you kind of hide those guys at the back of the, uh, the back of the game. And then it's like, okay, three hitters get to see this guy. Good luck trying to hit it. Yeah, that's that's I I want no part of that. Uh, kind of going back to you though. Uh, kind of take me through some of those seasons in Milwaukee. You played with some pretty great players: Prince Fielder, CC Sabathia, your rookie year, uh, Ryan Braun. You know, people like that. What's it like to kind of share the field with some of those type of players? It's awesome. I mean, it's it's a privilege just to be in baseball. Number one, like if you play any kind of professional baseball, if you if you work in that arena, it's a special thing and you're part of that family but you know to be on the field with those guys and compete with them and just be around them because the guys you just mentioned are some awesome dudes and um and they always treated me great even though I was kind of a fringe guy like your, your listeners are probably like who is this guy <laughs> who is Tim Dillard I ask myself that often um but yeah they, they because they know what it takes to get to the big leagues and how hard and like you know the sacrifices and, and just the the energy and uh, the commitment that it takes to kind of go through that. And still, it's kind of the luck of the draw to get to the big league. So, you know, there's there's all these factors. So when you get there, guys are happy for you. And, uh, yeah, I made my debut in 2008. And then, like, a couple of months later, we got we picked up CC Sabathia. And he was, he's, you know, him and Prince Fielder are probably the best teammates I've ever had. Like, not that we were super close and we're like, hey, let's go grab dinner together every night. But just being in a clubhouse and see how they function with everybody else is, it was fascinating. CeCe's bad. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I saw him, uh, you know, a, year, a couple of years later, you know, at a distance, kind of waved at him, didn't really get a chance to talk to him. But I actually, um, somebody called him on the phone one time. This was probably three years ago. And uh, and he was like, where's Dillard? He goes, I see all your stuff on social media. So I'm FaceTiming with CeCe as he's driving heading to the field in New York. So I was like, that's really cool. He remembered me, keeps up with me. Uh, we still get a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's big league right there. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and, uh, well, kind of you were describing your journey, you know, even after uh, playing in Milwaukee, you kind of bounced around, played in Mexico, playing independent ball, you know, just trying yep. to get back to the majors. At any point where you like, okay, like, what are we doing here? Like, do I really want to play in this? Or was it just like, I just want to play baseball. I don't care where it's at. Yeah, you sound like my wife. She's like, what are you doing? It's like, yeah, I got three, I got three kids too. So piddling around in the minor leagues, not making much money, um, traveling all over the place. I played four years in, in uh, Colorado Springs in AAA and I live in Nashville. So, you know, there was times there's a month or six weeks where I didn't see the family at all. And, um, and, and that's the kind of side of baseball that maybe people don't see as much professional baseball. Not every family gets to travel. And actually, most guys don't play long enough where they actually have kids in the minor leagues. I mean, some do, some do, but uh, for the most part, like you're just gone. Like wherever your home is, you're gone for about six months out of the year. And um, that's probably why you, you also don't hear about people that quit. You know, there's a lot of people that quit baseball just because they're not 
cut out for it. But for whatever reason, man, my wife's MVP, we somehow make it work. But there was so many times where we're going, what are we doing? Like, what is this? What is this? Want? But I tried to get other jobs and other careers and everything kind of always fell through. And then somehow, some way I got a, a playing job and I played good enough where eventually I got, you know, the next year I somehow found another job. So I just kind of chased that rabbit as long as I could until, uh, until about three months ago when I retired. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, with a lot of the recent kind of like minor league stuff coming out, uh, I don't know if you saw the Houston Astros story, how they're providing the fully furnished apartments to all their minor league players this year. See that, see that wasn't around <laughs> when my, for my 17 years in the minor leagues. Uh, but that's a real thing. That's good for them. I did see that. The Astros and somebody else, I think, are, are kind of taking lead on that. Maybe the A's. I'm not sure. But the, the problem is, like, you're an in, you're in A-ball. Chances are nobody's married. Everyone's in their, like, early 20s. And it's like, hey, you get one apartment, and there's, like, seven people that live there. You know, I've slept on couches, air mattresses. You know, I've slept in the floor. I've slept in my car. Like, you just have to make things work because you're not making any money. And um, and then when you get to AAA, maybe you start to make some money, but then you have to play in cities like Colorado Springs where the housing market's through the roof or guys like the Brewers AAA is in Nashville now, again, where it used to be. And, uh, and people were hitting me up the last few months going, well, dude, I'm going to AAA. Like, where do I live? It's like, good luck. Housing market's through the roof, man. You better get four roommates. So, I mean, there's just these challenges that, again, nobody ever really talks about, but you can do one or two things. You can fight against it and say, woe is me, or you can get after it and make it work somehow. And to me, that's all you have to do. You show up every day and just make it work. So what do you think made you different? Obviously, whenever I kind of pitched the idea of you coming on, I wanted to talk about some of maybe the flaws in the minor league system, but minor league yeah. life is hard. I mean, you were kind of a yeah. pro at being a minor league player with 1500 innings pitched. That's true. That's true. I, I, I navigated the minor leagues in several different eras, I believe, um, just because you come up with a crop of guys that are kind of the same, you know, you guys, show up the same day in the draft or whatever and kind of do the and then guys fall by the wayside or go to other teams and um, then here comes another crop of like you know guys that make it and then they kind of go to the big leagues or go different ways and so I played with several different crops of generations of players early on we didn't have cell phones my first couple of years we'd go to hotels they had keys like real keys you know what I'm saying wow. like, yeah so you had to sign this thing like if you lose that key you got to pay 25 bucks so um, you know, whoever, if you have a roommate on the road trips, it's like, I'm in charge of the key. We're not losing this thing. <laughs> That's 25 bucks. Um, and then now, I mean, you got cell phones and all that. I used to use phone cards to call my parents. Like that's, that's when I started and then cell phones things that kind of made everything easier in some ways. So, um, you just have to, you just have to accept it. You know, there's ways to navigate it, but you have to be conscious of it. If you're expecting everything to work out, that's going to be a hard life but that's any life. Like if you want to be like, if you, if you just expect it, Oh, it's going to be sunny today. And it starts raining and you're like, Oh man, it's like, why are you surprised? Has it rained before? Yeah. You know, has the bus broke down on the way to a game before? Yeah. You know, has our flight been delayed before? Yeah. It, these things can happen. So there's a, there's a lot of roll with the punches in minor league baseball. Like you, it could be pouring down rain, but the general manager of whatever teams like, no, we're playing no matter what we have to get out there and play, you know, it's sloppy and it's bad and your ERA goes through the roof. But I mean, that's a part of the game and like you signed up for this. And so if you try to fight against that, it's, it's a hard life. I've seen guys have a really hard time and they don't play a long time because they can't figure out how to just chillax and knowing that they can't control everything. And so 
anyway, it's just a metaphor for life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think you could apply that to stuff just not inside baseball, you know, pretty much everything in life, like you said. Um, but absolutely. What, what are some of the changes you would make or like, what are some changes you think baseball could make to the minor leagues to make the life a little bit more appealing? Cause I think a few tweaks can help so many guys continue to grind or say, you know what, maybe one more year, maybe I can do this. Like give it one more shot. Yeah. We'll see. That's the thing. Um, you know, they, they, uh, if they paid guys where it, it became a career, yeah. then people would keep getting jobs and they, they wouldn't care if they're in the big leagues. So like, think about it. If you're getting paid a hundred thousand dollars, which is ridiculous in triple a, that's a amazing living. You're like in the top, whatever. I don't know the stats. I make them up on air when I'm doing broadcasting, but I don't want to do this to you. Oh, you're good. <laughs> but you're like, good. you think about it, you're making that much money. Um, you know, you're like, you make it to the big leagues, you may make it way more than that, but you're like, well, I'm still making money. So if you paid players that much, almost like it wouldn't be that much of an incentive. Like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty okay just being here in AAA or AA or, oh, I'm, in, I'm a rookie and I'm 19 years old and I'm making $10,000 a month for six months. Like that's life-changing money that you're talking about at that age. So um, I don't agree with, I made the same rookie ball salary as my dad did when my dad was coming up uh, in the early 70s. So <laughs> wow. just to go to show you, you know, 40 years go by and it's still similar. Um, obviously something needs to change. And there's a lot of different things you could do. Um, like as I got older, I wish we had dental insurance or like vision insurance, but they don't offer that. <laughs> well, it's crazy because you would want to take care of your assets. Yeah. Well, like I want, want my hitter's eyes. eyes being fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to get LASIK? Yeah, you better pony up. Um, I don't know. Like uh, I know spring training back in the day, a long time ago, they used to have dorms. Like you would just, you had dorms and you would go to spring training, look, watch major league. You know, I think that they have yeah. dorms, um, during spring training. And that kind of went, went out of the way. They fit, they were like, man, that's way too much money. So they put guys at team hotels and spend through the roof. And, um, you know, and that's hard because then you got to get shuttles from that place to place, but some teams are starting to go back to putting, uh, rooms and board. The Rangers built a kind of a dorm system right across the street from their spring training complex. And that helps, that helps the minor leaguers going, okay, I can walk to the field every day. I'm not getting in my car. I can go walk to the grocery store because it's right there. Like that stuff helps because not everybody coming from Dominican has a car, right? I mean, I guess you could Uber now, but um, I don't know. Things have gotten easier in a lot of ways, but I think everyone compares baseball to every other job. So they're like, we're not even making minimum wage, but here's the thing. If you, if you're making minimum wage, we'd all be, you know, we'd be making tons of money because we put in so many hours. It's just not feasible. It's not feasible. I, 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 not to say that it can't get better. It can in certain like little ways, but people are looking for some drastic thing across the board. That's going to change the minor leagues. And it's not going to happen because they can just go find other people. Right. There's enough people out there say like, you know what? The talent might not be as high, but there's going to be people willing to come play. Yeah. That's why you have the MLB players association. So like MLB went on strike throughout the last however many decades to get the clout so that they can get things changed in the big leagues. And they've actually been taking a lot of rights away from the minor leagues. I don't want to get, I don't know how technical your podcast is, but they they've taken away a lot of stuff from the minor leagues as collateral to the owners and the GMs so that they can make the big leagues better. So it's actually harder to get to the big leagues now than it ever has been. And they've cut minor league teams across the board and players. So technically right now, if you went to a triple a game, 
the uh, caliber of AAA is probably going to be a little bit down just because so many people had to retire and quit because of limited numbers uh, because guys just couldn't get signed. So now you have probably the youngest AAA rosters in years. So that's the crop that's sitting there. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you, what I can't put my finger on one thing to change, but I remember we used to get $20 a day meal money when we'd go on road trips. And I was so excited one year when they decided to give $25 a day. Uh, that was, that was huge. So I don't know, maybe, maybe just helping with housing would be a big one. It sounds like that's what the Astros are doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, just kind of looking at it from like a technical standpoint, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to invest in these guys and say like, like, I feel like when it comes to six, seven years down the line, whenever it's time for their first contract extension, it's like, Hey, they took care of me. They, you know, provided housing. They paid my family a livable wage wage. But I think a lot of baseball fans don't realize some of like the fringe minor league guys have to have jobs outside of baseball. And there's people who, you know, have to go work as a plumber or have to work as a pizza delivery driver in the off season, whenever they could be spending that time in the cages or, you know, throwing bullpen sessions. Yeah, no, you're right. I had to get, I've had several jobs in the off season. That's just, that's just kind of part of it. Um, yeah. Uh, the thing is it's, you're, you're talking about a very rare group, like for a guy to sit there and, and make it to the big leagues and get to arbitration and that kind of stuff. I mean, it, not everyone kind of gets to that point. Everyone's kind of fighting to get to the big leagues. And so here, here's what it boils down to. You have a triple A team. And I say a lot about triple A because I have so many years there, but you have a triple A team. And you're going to have like three prospects or five prospects that are like, these guys are going to be 10 year big leaguers. Mm-hmm. And that's who they, that's who they focus on. But then they also have, you know, 20 other dudes that they don't really care about as much, but can you put a team on the field with five guys? No. Do they want to take care of those guys and let them have all the amenities and stuff like that? Absolutely. But they don't want to pay the money for 25 other dudes. They don't want to do that. So that's why you have the draft where guys make, you know, $4 million getting drafted. They, they, the owners see that as here's $4 million. If you want to eat a nice meal in double A, you can go buy it. You know, if you want to have a nice apartment and, you know, rookie ball, you can go buy that, you know, that because we've given you the money to be able to do that. So everyone else is just kind of like, well, (laughs) piece it together, make it work as best you can. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw a couple of people talking about this on Twitter, which is an absolute hellscape, uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, yeah. one of the person's argument was, uh, well, uh, Spencer Torkelson just signed like, you know, $9.8 million signing bonus. I'm like, not everybody gets $9.8 million signing bonuses. In fact, like That's if true. you're outside of the first couple of rounds, like your signing bonus, like I don't want to ask you personally, but like the later rounds, people's signing bonus might be like $5,000. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, Nate Orff who uh, got big league time. He was with the Brewers. I think he was with the A's last I saw. I can't remember who he's with now, but um, he made a joke to the scout that was trying to negotiate for him for the draft. He went to Baylor and he goes, dude, I'll sign for a Snickers bar. And so instead of giving him like, I forgot what it was like $10,000, they gave him like four as a signing bonus, like $4,000 because they were, they knew how desperate he was. And I'm like, that's kind of, that kind of sucks. <laughs> but, but later on we, um, that kind of became a thing. Like he, he, the quote came back up when he was at AAA. And so we were kind of laughing about it and uh, Snickers heard about it and Snickers sent him like this briefcase, like a Snickers briefcase filled with Snicker bars and had like Snickers uh, uh, batting gloves. And so I make all these, I make videos with my teammates on Twitter 
and Instagram and stuff like that. So I was like, he asked me, he goes, Hey, I want to shoot a video thanking Snickers. So I came up with this concept that we were going to do. And I shot like the slow motion video of him just throwing Snickers out of this briefcase, you know, and like rubbing the Snickers all over his body. It's <laughs> awesome. Stuff. And uh, anyway, that kind of went viral. There was a lot of people retweeting it, you know, and it's funny and stuff, but at the same time, yeah, there's guys that are not even getting Snickers bars, you know, to sign and play professional baseball. But if that's your expectation, like if your expectation is I'm going to get rich playing baseball, um, I mean, I tried for 18 years. Maybe there was a month in 2012 where I felt rich for a moment, <laughs> but very few. It's it's such a it's such a thing. I'm not saying you can't do it or you're like, I'm going to dream it. I can be it. Right. The cat poster at school on the wall. Um, not saying don't do that, but just have realistic expectations of like, OK, if your whole goal is to go and I'm going to be rich playing baseball, that's it could happen. I'm not saying it won't it could but if you operate in the shoulds where like this should happen i should be in the big leagues i should be doing this i should get this i should be. that's a tough life and you're not going to be around baseball very long because you're you you operate in the in the mindset that this should be given to me i should get this and it's it's not going to work at least not in this game Definitely not. Um, kind of transitioning out of the minor league stuff. Uh, you get the privilege sure. of, you know, knowing Bob Euchre. How awesome is that? Yeah. His, his literally his radio thing is right there. I don't, he doesn't do away games. So he's not here today. Um, but yes, I see him like every home game and it doesn't get old. He is so good. He, he is everything you, you want and more like to have his attention for like 20 seconds a day is the highlight of the day. So the other day I was leaving the, the park, and I was talking to, to the producer that I work with, uh, one of them, and he was asking me about the next day, like, oh, what segment are we going to do? I sound like I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing as far as the technical side of TV stuff. You still learn it. You good. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting, yeah, I'm dipping my toe in the water. Um, so then like this black, I thought it was a Lamborghini. I guess it was like a Corvette or something. But like this brand new thing just comes like <sighs> pulling up. And, uh, and Euchre rolls down the window and he's like, you know, he was talking about the game for a second. And anyway, I made a joke, like a real joke. Not the jokes I've been telling you. These are bad jokes. But I told a good joke. And Euchre started laughing. And he's like, see you later, T. Calls me T. I don't know if he knows my name. Doesn't matter. Drives <laughs> off. And I was like, that's been the highlight of my first two months being a broadcaster is literally getting Bob Euchre to laugh out loud, like a real laugh, like not a courtesy laugh where it's like, like you're doing now. You're like, oh, yeah. No, I mean, like a real. No, I'm like enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you upped your laugh right there. No, but yeah, like I, I thought that was really awesome because the guy has seen so much. He's been a part of so much. Um, and for him to take the time, I walk, I see him walk down the hall, man. Everybody stops what they're doing. He walks uh, down the hallway in the press box and everyone just stops. It's almost like, I wonder what he's going to say today. You know, like it's just, but he has time for everybody. It's really cool to see. Um, to be around this game that long and still be excited to go to the field and excited to talk to everybody like that's that's a gift man that's a gift i gotta be honest i didn't think bob Uger would be driving a corvette <laughs> i know i didn't see that coming either it's <laughs> <That's> pretty awesome <laughs> yeah it makes yeah. me like him a lot more yeah I, I guess he has several cars um but anyway i was like who is this i thought it was a player i'm like who is this guy and i'm like oh, it's bob Uger. <laughs> yellow's got some new wheels <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and it's well. funny too because well, they have a they have a parking lot for the players. So like everybody's like, you gotta walk downstairs and go across some sidewalks and then walk into like this big dock area 
you know, where they have semi or where they have like loading trucks and semi trucks come in for supplies or whatever. Um, and Euchre, he drives like straight up in there. He has the best parking spot and he's had it forever. Like he, he can, he can park where no one else can park. That's what they say about him. They're like, he has access. He can park. He can do whatever he wants because he is, he is whatever the word is above legend. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. All right. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I'm going to ask you the last question. Sure ask all of my guests if you can go back in time and just kind of witness or relive any moment in sports history what would it be oh any moment in sports history dang that's a big one i get that response a lot well i mean it's an all-encompassing question i'm sitting there like i don't know because now i'm on the broadcasting side i would like Mm -hmm. to hang out with harry Carey at a game because he used to do the broadcast from like in the stands with no shirt on you know calling out the game as it happens in a Cubs day game, which I found exciting. Um, man, that's a, that's a, anything in history. Um, one that comes to mind, I'd like to see Ryan, uh, Randy Johnson, when he hit that bird flying, I mean, I feel bad for the bird. I don't condone hitting birds with baseballs, but like, if it happens randomly like that, you nothing you can do. I mean, I that was like your that goal in high school. Cool. That's what you just said. Yeah. Right. In high Not school, you want to be right-handed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I want to be right-handed Randy Johnson. Um, I would say, what about when Nolan Ryan was punching Robin Ventura uh, when he oh, charged awesome. the mound? That would have been cool to watch. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you could throw any World Series in there. I was actually at World, the 2016 World Series for the Cubs uh, when they won it, so that was kind of cool. You were there for Game That's 7? Yeah, I was up in the stands. Um, I was sitting like third deck, kind of behind home plate. I was behind Javier Baez's family, like all of them are wearing Baez jerseys, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Got to be in the tunnel. Got to see Chris Berman from ESPN. He was down in the tunnel. I'm trying to think who else I got to see. Um, got to see all the Cubs players and and, and some of the uh, Indians guys. But oh, it was, I mean, baseball is just cool, man. I mean, every day, you don't have to pick one moment. If, if you watch a game, you're going to see something you've probably never seen before. Yeah, I mean, you were mentioning Javier Baez, like the play against the Pirates uh, earlier That's this unbelievable. week. unbelievable. That, that may not ever happen again in the history of the world. So, like, stuff like that is – it's big and it makes the news, but even the, even the most mundane, boring game, you can still see something. You're like, wow, I've never seen that before, if you're paying attention. And once you get in the game or once you turn the TV on, it's free to pay attention. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of made this point on the podcast. I'm sorry, I'm trying to wrap up, but still. Um, I made no, this point yeah. on the podcast. Have you ever noticed this kind of, like – everybody was kind of being like, oh, the Pirates, like they're dumb or whatever, da, 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 da. But Javier Baez seems like he's in the center, like the center of these plays a lot. Like it kind of feels like if people, I don't know if they kind of panic because of the name at the plate, someone who's quick, someone who's very aggressive on the basis. Do you think that could kind of play into it? Well, I think some people just can't even think outside the box. You know, uh, to me, it's called like a situational awareness. Um there's people that have it. There's people that have it and you can just notice it right away. There's other people that have no clue. They're really good at baseball, but they have no situational awareness. They couldn't tell you what to do with a man on second, nobody out. They couldn't tell, you know, a pitcher, man on third, less than two outs, has no idea what the hitter's trying to do. You know, it, it, it matters too. When I was pitching, I'm going, I'm facing a young guy in a certain situation. I'm like, okay, if this young guy he has no chance. He has no idea what the situation is. So I'm going to take advantage of that. But another time I'll be facing like an old veteran and I'm going, this guy knows exactly the situation. I know exactly what he's trying to do at the plate. So that stuff, that stuff matters. And I've played with some guys that had some amazing situational awareness, just, 
just can eat, you know, sleep and breathe baseball. They just know what to do in every moment. And Baez, from from what I can see and, you know, playing against in the minors and, you know, watching him on TV, this guy probably has some of the, the best awareness in the game right now. Maybe ever. Who knows? I mean, whenever he made the safe sign and then was like, oh, wait, I still have to go touch first and then took off running, that might have been like the funniest baseball clip I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, when you're that good, you know, he's allowed to enjoy the game even more. Like, it's hard for some people. I'm not going to lie. Baseball is hard. But for him, it just seems kind of (laughs) easy. Man, how nice. I would love to be, you know, hitting 240 with an 800 OPS and people to freak out and be like, oh, this guy, he strikes out a little much. I'm like, man, give me that job. Give me that life. I I would love it. That'd be great. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, especially when the coach is like, or the GM's like, hey, swing hard for a home run every single time. We're still going to pay you. It's like, that's the thing. But if you tried to do that in the minor leagues, you'd never make it to the big leagues. Think about that. Yeah. So anyway, what you do, do whatever you can. Hit as best you can or throw as best you can. Get to the big leagues and then you can basically do whatever you want once you sign a contract. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least that's what I heard. I've never signed a contract. And that note, we will uh, end it. Thanks again, Tim, for coming on. It was awesome. Do uh, you have anything else? No, I'm good. Appreciate it. No, this is this is fun, man.